0: Welcome to the latest episode of Take Back Our Schools. I am Andrew Gutman. I am not joined by my normal co-host today, Beth Feely, who is taking her son to college today, but she will be back next week. But we do have a terrific guest in Ian Pryor. We talk a lot about the parents' movement and how uh, it is tends to be dominated by the mama bears, the moms, there are not enough dads in this movement. So I'm very pleased to be joined by another dad in this movement, Ian. Uh, Ian is the author of the recently published Parents of the World Unite, How to Save Our School from the Left's Radical Agenda. He is a senior advisor at America First Legal and executive director of Fight for Schools. And he shows up frequently on Fox News and other media outlets. So, Ethan, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So we also all the sort of in the parents movement have like like an origin story um you know you've been one of the leaders of this and we'll talk about you know your experience in loudon county which has obviously been one of the epicenters but but you know how did you get involved in yeah in this it, it's, you know when i
1: talk about this in the first couple of maybe the first three chapters of my book um you know i, I assumed that that everything was fine at schools right i mean you drop your kids off you, they, they come back on the bus um they learn math science reading writing history and all the teachers and administrators are are really focused on on those important, you know, academic principles. Um, It wasn't until, I think, the summer of 2020, post-George Floyd, you know, we start seeing all this this cancel culture stuff going on. Um, There were some cancel culture moments in Loudoun County where, you know, they tried to cancel a bar, they tried to cancel a a girl who, you know, said something three years earlier and, and she got her cheerleading scholarship revoked. It was just really concerning. And so, you know, when I saw some of the things that were going on in Loudoun County Public Schools where, you know, it's, um, it, it, everything was was geared towards, well, we need to end systemic racism in Loudoun County Public Schools. Well, well what's systemic racism, right? And they had a um, an equity audit. And so I read the equity audit, and I mean, it just seemed like, you know, it was geared towards the results um, and not actually like finding out if there actually was any racism, right? I mean, they they did focus groups with parents, they excluded Asian and Caucasian parents as part of that report. So I thought, well, this, this seems like a problem. And, um, and you know, I ended up writing an article about it, about what I found in that report and, and how I thought that report w- was shoddy. Um, th- things like, you know, what you saw with the, the Harvard case where the Loudoun County um, uh, STEM School essentially was saying, well, we need to we need to jerry-rig our admissions process because we have too many Asians coming in. Well, all right, that seems like a problem to me. Or we need to get rid of um, suspension for disruptive classroom behavior because it has a disproportionate impact on one racial demographic over another. That sounds concerning to me as well. Um, And then there was was a, a policy, a proposed policy that said, if you're a staff member and you criticize these policies, even not at school, even on your own time, not on social media, you could be disciplined. I'm like, that's it right there. That's what they're trying to do. You can't say what... You can't say anything if it doesn't line up with you know what the state wants you to say. Um, otherwise, you're going to be ultimately canceled or disciplined, uh, et cetera. So, you know, I write this article in the Federalist. I showed up at one school board meeting. This was
0: when about what spring of twenty one, or was it early? This, this is
1: September twenty September October twenty twenty. Okay, um, so really early. Okay, so I write this article and then I go to the school board meeting. And you know, I really only spoke about free speech issues at the school board meeting. I didn't talk about you know equity or critical race theory. Um, you know, I talked, about, I went to go talk about the teacher code that I just mentioned, but also their dress code where they wanted to ban, um, any symbols or words that could be deemed offensive. I'm like, that seems pretty overbroad and vague. Uh, and that was kind of it for me. I, you know, I didn't think that, okay, I'm going to be doing this long-term. I thought, well, maybe I should just kind of keep, keep my eye on, eye on the ball here. And if I need to, had, you know, Had also- you
0: ever been to a school board meeting before?
1: No, it was my first one. No. Okay. Um, and, you know, it was at the time where nobody could go in the meeting room except for one person at a time because of, of COVID. Oh, because of That's COVID, right. You speak to the school board, you leave. Um, fast forward to March of 2021. Um, you know, th- this chatter amongst people that there was this group, this this Facebook group, private Facebook group called the Anti-Racist Parents of Loudoun County. And, um, you know, one of the school board members put something out there in that group saying, we need to push back on the anti-critical race theory people. Okay, I mean, fine. But then all the, the activists, the left wing activists in there, decided they were going to take that way too far, and they said, "Yeah, we need to publicly infiltrate. We need to infiltrate them. We need to publicly expose them. Send mailers, uh, and then we need to, you know, find some hackers to hack their websites."
0: I'm like, "And wow. how? You give a sense for how big that group?" Was uh, it was about 800
1: point? people. Oh, wow. Okay. And um, you know, people started talking, and then and they say, "Okay, what I'm going to do is." I'm gonna start a new post and and you know we'll list the people. And they just start listing all these people that had spoken at school board meetings. And um, you know, I got this in bits and pieces, and and to the people that, that were on that list, I'm like, well, that's a problem. You know, they're talking about federal crimes here, like hacking people's websites. So you might want to talk to the sheriff, you might want to talk to you know the US attorney's office. Um, that was on a Friday. On Saturday, I get a call from Luke Rosiak of the Daily Wire. Asking me about, you know, what I knew about this. I'm like, well, I only know what I saw, really. Um, he's like, did you know you were on the list? I like, did not know that. Okay. Um, why don't you go ahead and send me that screenshot? So I get sent that screenshot. And sure enough, there's my Federalist article. Um, there's my, you know, area of residence, my name, um, school board rep all put on there by, you know, somebody that we had used to be friends with. Um, and you know, who that friendship had deteriorated because of political. Right. Reasons. And I just was like, this is crazy. I mean, they're they're basically trying to silence between 60 and 70 people for speaking at school board meetings on a host of things, right? You know, like they I got put on that list twice. One of the reasons I got put on the list was for speaking up about the First Amendment. Think about how crazy that is. But other people were on there for speaking out on school closures, for speaking out on, you know, equity and critical race theory. It do- it didn't matter. Anything that you opposed the school board was doing, if you spoke out on that, you were going to find yourself on that list. And that's where I said, all right, enough's
0: enough. I'm going to cross the Rubicon and go hard at this. And so you did what? So you started organizing people at that point? Yeah, I mean, Loudoun well, County became this epicenter of, of this movement. I mean, how did that kind of happen?
1: <clears throat> well, I mean, this list really was the first inflection point because so many people were on it and they were just really ticked off. Now, a lot of people just wanted it to go away, but other people said, no, I'm going I'm to stand up and fight this. Um, but what really was was damaging about that group is that it had six school board members in it along with our you know commonwealth prosecutor and another um, elected official now the theory i came to was like well, wait a minute you got six school board members i'm nine you you only need three for a quorum and this is a closed group so they're discussing school issues this should be subject to you know notice of meetings minutes etc that's a violation of the open meetings act furthermore if you if it's an open meeting, and it has to be open to the public, and you're restricting that based on viewpoint, which they were doing, you had to be an anti-racist parent, then that's a First Amendment violation. So, you know, I came up with this, this idea. I said, well, you know, I saw these recalls happening in places like California. I looked in Virginia. I'm like, well, is there a recall um, provision? And there is, but it's not the same. It's, it's a removal provision. And it's really arduous. You have to go to the court with a certain number of signatures and then try a case against this elected official for so you were trying to move school board duty. members exactly okay uh, so i just said all right well that's what we're going to do we're going to create a pack called fight for schools um and we are going to raise money for at least the next however long fund this this removal effort and we decided to go after the, the six school board members that were in that group because they're the ones that you know i think we had the the theory of the case on and we just started collecting signatures and you know at first um it was it was a tough slog i mean i think the first time we got maybe like a thousand we needed like seventeen thousand total different numbers for each school board based on the total vote they had gotten in the last election um but that's when things at the end of may things really just it was like
0: another inflection point that put us in, on rocket fuel basically Got it. I mean, I mean, did, did you start to accumulate more parents, you know, that joined this movement or is it kind of a small group that that, you know, was there from the beginning? Well, at first, at first it was a
1: small group um, and it got bigger. Right. Once we started collecting signatures, we had more people that wanted to volunteer. So our volunteer base grew bigger. We had yeah. more people wanting to sign. But one of the things we were trying to do was get into um, Cornerstone Chapel, which is a big mega church out here in Leesburg, Virginia. And, you know, they, they didn't want to get involved we knew that if we could get in there, we're going to get thousands of signatures in, in, in a day. Um, but they did get involved and they did let us um, put signatures out there once Loudoun County Public Schools suspended a teacher, Tanner Cross, because he went to a school board meeting and spoke out against what then was a proposed policy that, among other things, would force teachers to essentially affirm kids that you know want to be transgender. Um, and they suspended him. And he ended up winning immediately his his injunction. Maybe like a week later, but he was a congregant at Cornerstone Chapel. And then we got the words like, "You can come collect here," and we we did that over two weekends in in early late May, early June, and probably got like seven thousand signatures. Now at that point, we're we're like everybody knows what's going on. Now the school board is taking us seriously. Now the attacks start coming, right? I mean, they're they're allies and the school board members. I mean, they. They were taking this very seriously. They, you know, one school board member met with me. I could tell they were they were scared. He wanted out, Um, and and that's kind of where we were in in June. And we're like, we're going to be able to file our first case uh, in court probably by the end of the summer. Um, And then June twenty second happens, and that's the school board meeting where you know everybody sees still the pictures, and that involves Scott Smith getting arrested. Um, you know, seeing pictures of him getting getting pulled down, and then that that video and that school board meeting being sort of the the pushback from the left of look at these radical parents and you know these violent terrorist parents, et cetera. But
0: you know, we later found out
1: that you know that wasn't really the story of what went
0: down. So let's talk, let's talk about that if you don't mind, the Scott Smith, because you yeah. just featured uh, I think about two weeks ago in a in a big article in the New York Times Magazine about the Scott Smith case. They had a good picture of you. Um, tell tell us a little bit more about what happened. It's over, you know, transgender bathroom issues, yeah. and, and well, you tell. I'll let you tell us. So so you know, interestingly enough,
1: and this is obviously knowledge in hindsight. Interestingly enough, the same week that they suspended Tanner Cross for you know speaking at the school board meeting against this policy eighty mm-hmm. forty. Scott Smith's daughter was was raped in a bathroom at Stonebridge High School. Um, And, you know, we later found out that there was an email saying among the administrators saying, well, this is related to policy 8040. But nobody really knew about it at that time. Um, I think some people, maybe it was a bit of an open secret. I certainly didn't know about it. Um, I didn't even attend the June 22nd school board meeting. I was out collecting signatures because we we had a bad feeling that that something was going to go down. People are now in the school board meeting room after COVID, right? It's packed. There's 250 right. people just signed up to speak, and um, and but I was following it on on my phone as I was walking door to door, and you know the first 20 people or so it seemed like plants from from the school board because the school board strangely um, opened up signups a day earlier than they usually did, and nobody knew about uh-huh. it, but it looks like their allies knew about it. Okay. So and do they limit the number of people speak, or is everybody who wants to speak is allowed to speak typically? Everybody was allowed to speak at that time, only for one minute. Uh, by the time, they had taken the cameras off people's faces because too many moments had gone viral in the previous meetings. You know, one woman gets up there and, you know, she, she says, I look around the the, follow, the followers of Jesus in this room with the hate dripping from their chins and and their hate dripping from their kids' chins in school or something like that. Right. Addressing the, the crowd. And, and they, you know, what would you expect? They're like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, it comes some booze, some guffaws and the, the school board chair shuts down the meeting I'm like what then she comes back out and she lets the lady talk again and the lady basically says the same type of thing no issues there right no no um she didn't say anything to this woman like hey you're not to address the crowd that's a breach of decorum no she was mad at the crowd um then the worm turns a little bit and people start getting up one after the other blasting the school board for one thing or another right whether it was the you know, the private Facebook group, whether it's critical race theory, whether it's Tanner Cross, whether it's the transgender policy, which was up for debate that day. And, and then you get to maybe- speaker- I And mean, sorry,
0: the transgender policy was related to bathrooms. Is yeah, that
1: bathrooms, it? pronouns, okay. um, oh, know, that. Okay. telling parents, all that stuff. Um, so you get to number 62, 63, a former state senator by the name of Dick Black gets up there and he just rips into the school board, right, and directs his comments to the school board, you know, no profanities and anything like that, but just a fiery, passionate speech. He gets applause. They gavel the meeting, and they vote 9-0 to end public comment. The end. Well, wait a minute. You know, this lady was out here directly addressing the crowd and antagonizing the crowd. This guy gave a speech. They clapped for the speech and stopped when you banged the gavel, but you shut down the meeting for that. Okay, what's going on here? So now you have a bunch of people in the crowd. You know, they're singing the national anthem, somebody has a a private AV system that they bring in and the people who weren't allowed to speak because they're, you know, they were kicked out of, well, they shut down public comment are giving their speeches, ad hoc speeches to the crowd. As this is happening, Scott Smith and Jessica Smith are in the back of the room and their daughter's there with them. And I think their daughter was actually going to speak, she wasn't signed up to speak, but I think she was going to speak in this ad hoc sort of situation. And a woman, a member of the anti-racist parents of Lower County, starts antagonizing Mr. Smith, right? And saying, Your daughter lied, uh, that's not what happened. I'm gonna cancel your business. Um, and he gets he gets mad, right? He, he yells a profanity at her. Um, it's kind of a tense situation. A sheriff's deputy sort of grabs his shoulder and he doesn't know it's a sheriff's deputy that's behind him, he swats it away, and then boom, he gets taken to the ground, he gets arrested. Um, another individual got arrested purely on sort of civil disobedience when they said, "Okay, we're clearing the room. This is we're, we're kicking everybody out." Right? Um, he's like, "I'm not leaving." So like, they cited him for trespass. So that's what happened in the June 22nd meeting. But nobody, and so nobody was there for the rest of the meeting. Right? When they were actually debating the policy, sure it was available online, but I think people just were like, "Wow, this is crazy. What just happened?" Came national news. Um, you know, this was this was all over the place. Like I said, this is all oh, these are the domestic terrorism parents, right. um, but. In the That was right
0: around the time that they they started calling parents domestic terrorists.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Right. And I okay. think that was sort of the first moment where they're like, oh, we've got to win here. Look, we can point to this, Loudoun County, right. where this has been burning. And we can say, look, see, these people are bad. Um, but, you know, I think it was a couple of days later, I did get connected with Scott Smith and Jessica Smith. And we, we talked about the situation. And, you know, it was it was concerning, obviously, on a number of levels. Um, because here we are having this, these debates about bathroom safety, and this happened in a bathroom. And it's, you know, it didn't matter, from my perspective, if the kid was transgender or gender fluid or whatever, right? What right. matters is that this happened in a bathroom. We're having a debate about bathrooms. Isn't this something that should be, you know, at least told to the school board members if they don't know? Right. Um, but there was a lot going on at the time. You know, Mr. Smith was being prosecuted by, you know, our Soros-backed uh, Commonwealth attorney, um, the police were still investigating the Stonebridge assault because they were, they were waiting for it, the rape kit to come back. Right. And that's why it took so long. That's why it took like six weeks for him to actually be charged.
0: Um, and eventually so he the, was charged for, so, so the, 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 the boy, mm-hmm. the, the raped the daughter was charged, but, but he was being prosecuted for his behavior in the school board meeting. Okay. Yep. Um, and so, you know, it just really
1: didn't go anywhere um it didn't it didn't become more than sort of an open secret that I think everybody knew about but nobody wanted to say anything because you don't want to compromise you know his case her case any of that um you know that's that's up to them right what what they want to share now they passed the policy in august right um okay great not much we can do about it they passed the policy we they were going to do it
0: then we and the policy,
1: t- sorry, the policy was it'd be transgender bathrooms, they don't yeah, have to tell parents bathroom, the pronouns. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they, they slipped in a regulation saying don't tell the parents uh, right. unless the kid gives permission. Um, and then that takes us into, you know, September. September, a bunch of things started happening, right? That, one, Glenn Youngkin was really starting to embrace this, this parent's movement at this point in time, right? He was, yeah, I was going to
0: get to that, but yes, because yeah, now I mean, we're we'll getting close you know, to the
1: election. <laughs> I'd say once June came around and once the Tanner Cross thing happened, he started embracing what was going on and talking a lot about Loudoun County. Um, late September, you know, we're in court with the first school board member, Beth Bartz. Um, and, you know, we, we've gone to a school board meeting, Matt Walsh spoke at the school board meeting, you know, he rented an apartment for a dollar um, and, and, you know, we we're all sitting around at, uh, getting dinner after. And that's when Tara McAuliffe says, well, I don't think, you know, te- parents should be telling teachers or schools what to teach. Like Whoa. That was in that famous debate. Yeah. The like, editorial debate, right. Okay. Like, wow, that is going to be on an ad that's going to have lots of money behind it from now until November. Yeah. And then later that week, um, the NSPA puts out its memo saying, we want the Department of Justice to utilize the Patriot Act, and, which you know talks about domestic terrorism, and investigate parents as potential domestic terrorists. Well, that's crazy. That's not, that's not going to go well for them. What, like two, three business days later, you get, a, you get a memo from the Attorney General saying, yes, federal law enforcement, use your resources, which, of course, would be under the Patriot Act, um, to investigate these parents and you know i work in the justice department those kind of memos don't happen unless they're pre-planned that quickly and so that was that was crazy and it really backfired i think people were like you know screw that um so that that's all happening and then we get into court uh we get into court with with bards and we have a bunch of motions and you know our organization fight for schools we move to intervene because the problem as i said with these removals is that the The entity responsible for actually trying the case is your local commonwealth attorney, who's a political ally of these school board members and was in the very group that we're discussing uh, and that was the the genesis of our removal. So we're like, we got to get her off this case. She's going to just voluntarily dismiss it. So we moved to intervene. We're granted intervention. We moved to disqualify her. We disqualify her. Um, We got an independent prosecutor. We're like, you know, we're going to win this thing or at least we're going to try. and so that's where we were until October 6th of 2021. October 6th of 2021, Loudoun County Sheriff's Office puts out a press release saying that there was a, a sexual assault at Broad Run High School. Immediately people start talking like it's the same kid. It's the same kid. So that connection is made. Um, and then a- after that connection is made, one of that's the- a one-
0: That's a different school. He was transferred to it's a different, different school, Yeah. Right? So we got moved okay. to a
1: different school of sexual assault with someone else. And- And so Luke Rosiak, again, wrote that story. Um, But before he wrote that story, we we went back and looked at the June 22nd meeting. And that's where we saw the infamous clip of, you know, our now thrice indicted superintendent, Scott Ziegler, saying, you know, I don't uh, I don't know of any records of sexual assaults in bathrooms after he was asked a question. It's like, wait a minute man, wait a minute. You didn't know about this. Um, so that story breaks. I mean, it becomes national news again, like the, of all the inflection points in 2021, this was the one that was like, even your, you know, legacy media outlets were covering it and covering it fairly. And um, and so, you know, we were like, look, this guy needs to resign. We want an independent report, uh, produce the public, clearly didn't follow Title IX um, regulations because this kid would have been disciplined. He wouldn't have been back at school if they had done a Title IX. And, um, you know, the superintendent comes out and says, oh, we did everything right. We did everything by the books. OK, well, the next day, Beth Barts resigns. Um, she was the one that we were in court with. And I think, look, I mean, she said in The New York Times, we, the pressure from us. And also, I, I truly believe her colleagues, um, or at least the, the the top end colleagues on the school board knew about this. And I think she was probably like, I'm disgusted with this. I'm out. I'm sick of this school board. Um, and, and, you know, from there, it was just. It became the issue. You know, you have a school division that is putting its political interests over the safety of its children. we had been talking about how they're putting their political interests over the the academic performance of their students, but now it's the safety as well. And then they lied about it. And they didn't just lie about it in the in the meeting. Um, they lied about it because they were supposed to submit in in July, um, what's called the DCB report to the Virginia Department of Education, which lists any and all. Incidents that are re- reported to the police. Well, this was one that was reported to the police. Um, he was he was um, arraigned. He was charged, and they they didn't report it. In fact, they they blew their deadline by six weeks. They only filed it two days after that policy passed, and they left that off the uh, the report. The conclusion, I mean, the, the logical conclusion is that the, the Loudoun County School Board, the administrators, the the political people thought, look, if we put in there nothing and that's public record. Um, If we put something in there and that's public record, people are gonna start digging before the election. Let's just put nothing in there. We'll we'll bury our heads in the sand, McAuliffe will win, Mark Herring will win Attorney General, and this is all gonna get swept under the rug. Well, that's not what happened, right? Glenn Youngkin wins, Winsome Sears wins, Jason Miarez wins, and boom, they're off to the races, now investigating Loudoun County Public Schools.
0: We'll be back with more Take Back Our Schools right after this.
1: Hello, I'm James Lilacs, the host, well, one of them, of the Ricochet podcast. You know, summer's winding down here, but that doesn't mean that you're winding down intellectually. I know you want to keep up with the issues, and that's why the Ricochet podcast, the flagship podcast, is here to bring interesting people and interesting chat to you. You can find it at ricochet.com.
0: How do you think Glenn Young is doing? Obviously, he, he's focused a lot on parental rights, a lot on the education issues. Do you think he's doing everything that, that you would like to see him do that he said he was gonna do? I mean, I, you know, I'm, I've certainly been pleased with, with what he's
1: done. Um, you know, he started right off the bat saying, executive order, masks, you know, it's up to the parents. Um, that got challenged. They eventually passed legislation. Um, he was able to pass legislation that matched that executive order, leaving a lot of school districts like Fairfax County and Loudoun County looking pretty stupid. Um, when they continue to fight it, he has been um, he's been great. Certainly, the model policies that he just released, I think, you know, not only address the issues that those first, you know, policy eighty forty, they were all based on a Virginia um model policies, right? These, these transgender um, bathrooms, sports, locker rooms, et cetera. That's why these schools are passing them in 2021. We're like, well, the BDOE says we have to do it, so so we're gonna do it. Well, okay. Now we get a new VDOE and they revoke those and put new ones in place, which are far more common sense, reasonable, and quite frankly legal. Um, and he's done that. And now you have schools saying, "Well, we're not going to adopt those." It's like, "Well, wait a minute." Before you said you had to, now you're saying you won't. Okay. Um, so you know, one hopes that that he follows through through, and that they take whatever legal action is possible to to enforce that. Um, but that was a big deal. I think that really was you know one of the issues, if not the issue, that because of the way schools implemented it. Not just Louden um, it, it really galvanized the parents movement and you know he delivered on on that campaign promise to take care of it. And so I think that for the parents movement, given the fact that he doesn't have a Senate, he's got a, you know, the, the blue wall in the Senate, I think he's done great. Uh, you know, hopefully we're able to take the Senate in Virginia this year. And if, if um, Glenn Young is able to have a Republican House of
0: Delegates and a Republican Senate, I think he's going to be able to do even more. And how about, and, and, you know, various school board races? I mean, are we seeing changes to school boards in Virginia? Uh, you know, I think
1: we are at, at different levels. I mean, the interesting thing with Loudoun County is, you know, you, you always hear from the left, oh, well, Yunkin lost Loudoun County, and Loudoun County is still blue. And, and that may be the case. We have school board races come up in 2023. You know, we're going to do our best. But that's, that was never really the point. The point is what happened in Loudoun County um, really resonated across the state. So that places that, you know, maybe purple or, you know, they go the other way or maybe you're red, get even deeper red because they're looking at what happened and what's going to happen if they don't put a stop to it. And that's what I think Glenn Young has been able to do. He's really been able to stop the bleeding. Um, But unfortunately, we're not going to be able to move forward until we get, you know, we get the Senate. Right. And so more
0: reasonable school boards. So you've been one of the leaders of the parents who you wrote a book, Parents for the World Unite, which I think had a, a bunch of things that parents need to do to fight the, you know, fight these issues. And we want to tell us a little bit about about your book and, and uh, you know, yeah. what you recommend and ask parents to do. So, so you know, I actually did appreciate the New York Times,
1: you know, quoting and saying it's like a sun tzu for parents. And, and that's kind of how I how I envision it and how I wrote it, where there's 12 chapters. Each chapter has sort of a different saying or a lesson. Um, that that kind of captures what our our strategy and our tactics were at that time. Um, so you know each chapter um, really tells the story of Loudoun County, but tells the story of Loudoun County in a way that really can be applicable to anybody. Um, and these are simple concepts. I mean, you know, we're talking about, for example. In late August of, of 2021. I mean, things were kind of going against us. We had this sort of you know doofus lawyer um representing the, the school board member who's you know trying to play all kinds of tricks, using the media to, to make us look bad. And, and people were kind of you know getting down. Um it's like, well, hey, hey, no, no, we gotta push through this, right? When well, we'll push through this and we'll be successful, you cannot let sort of the, the pushback get you to stop. You have to push through the wall, you know. And I use uh I use an analogy from you know, I'm a New England Patriots fan. One of my favorite games I ever I ever watched was the um, 2018 AFC Championship game between uh, uh, Kansas City and New England, right? I mean, that was kind of the, the end of the, the Patriots and the beginning of the Chiefs, even though the Patriots won. But, you know, in that game, it was Patriots just got out to a huge lead, right? And then the Chiefs started coming back. Right? I mean, they would just, every time they touched the ball, they scored. Now, somebody, lesser teams with, with less, you know, mental toughness would have folded. But the Patriots just kept coming right back. Right, and it was every time somebody got the ball, they scored, and ultimately the, the better team won the game. And so I use that as sort of an analogy. Like when you get into these tough spots, um, just because you've had success before, don't fold when things get tougher. You just got to get through that moment and break through the wall. And then once you get through there, you're going to see what you know. Ultimately, we saw in late September, October, November, and beyond. How come there aren't more dads in the movement? Uh, you know, that's, or do you wish there were? That's a great question. Um, <laughs> And I don't know if I have the answer. Uh, I don't know that I have the answer. I think that you know, to the extent like we had a lot of stay-at-home moms, um, we had a lot of you know retired moms. Um, We did have working moms too, um, but you know there aren't a ton of stay-at-home dads. And you know I think that could be part of it. I mean, there certainly were dads, um, but I also think that you know part of it is the media likes to focus on on the moms, right? Because it, it does show like, look, this is. They love the mama bear thing. I think the mama bears really captured, yeah. you know, the America's attention. And they think, sure. you know, they're able to um, you know, present a different perspective than I think just sort of the, the guy going up there at a school board meeting, you know, yelling at people, or you know, I tried to always really just be very lurly when I was up there and and you know pick apart their points and, and back it up with documented evidence. Um, you know, I've seen different species at school board meetings where they're more fiery. Um, but you know, I think that. You know, I think dads do need to be, get more involved.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Where do you see the parents moving, going from here? I think it continues its momentum. I mean, one of the things that people have said is that a lot of it, uh, you know, was because of mm-hmm. COVID issues, school closures. I know like Virginia had was like one like I think the seventh worst state in the country for how long schools were closed. Um, I don't know if we lost or if you've got the sense that we lost some momentum. Um, you know, once sort of the COVID issues, masks and vaccines and school closures sort of, you know, people forgot about them a little bit. But do you see the parents movement, you know, maintaining momentum? And and you know being a big you know political force over the next I, I many years do or and and the
1: reason why I do is because the left will continue to overreach with their policy decisions and as long as they keep doing things like saying you don't get to know if your child you know is if Joey is Judy at school you don't get to know that right as long as they keep having those kind of policies well yeah people are going to continue to push back um, and so what what you've seen from the parents movement is is a counterattack it's a counterattack on you know, parental rights on values, on freedom of speech. I mean, think about this for a second. You know, we just filed a lawsuit, America First Legal did in Washington state uh, yesterday, challenging their statute that, you know, basically says you can run away to Washington and, you know, parents aren't going to be called if, if they won't affirm their, their child. Well, wait a minute. Isn't that a free speech issue? And we, we plead that in the complaint where you're now saying that you're compelling parents to speak against their beliefs in order to get their child back. But on the other hand, if you if you, you know, are compelled and you do say what the state wants, well, you can you can know about where your child is. Well, that's that's an equal protection violation. So, I mean, everything that they're doing, um, you know, is quite frankly unconstitutional. But the problem is, you know, you've got to work it through the courts. And some of the decisions have gone well, like the the Eleventh Circuit decision in um, in December that said school board policy separating bathrooms on the basis of biological sex was constitutional. Um, Others haven't gone well. There was a recent one in the Fourth Circuit that said, well, you know, unless your child is actually pretending to be something else at school and you didn't learn about it, you don't have standing to challenge, which makes it really hard. It's, you know, courts, some courts saying you actually have to be harmed before you can prevent the harm, which seems crazy, but that's unfortunately where we are. But I do think that you're seeing a lot of this being
0: litigated in the courts now. And that's kind of the new ground for the parents movement. And to you, the last question, I think, do you think other political leaders have taken the lessons of, let's say, Glenn Youngkin and how he won on this movement to some extent, Governor DeSantis in Florida, who won by unprecedented margins a lot on the education and woke and you know parental rights issues? Do you see other political leaders around the country kind of following that model? I,
1: I do somewhat. Um, I, I do somewhat. You know, certainly DeSantis, President Trump has been talking about it a lot lately. Obviously, Glenn Youngkin in the 2021 election. And you see some, some elected officials, some of the more newer ones, um, that are governors that are, that are focusing on this. But what, what was disappointing to me was in the 2022 midterm elections, you didn't really see this as an issue being raised by, by candidates and and members of Congress. And and the lesson I learned is that the, when you poll somebody and say, what are your top issues, right? You're going to get the economy, crime, inflation, et cetera. Education is not going to be your top five. Maybe it's practicing the top five now, but it's not going to be number one. In, In 2021, in June, it was the same way. By the time you got to the weekend before the election, it was the number one issue for voters. Why? Because Youngkin was pushing it, because parents were pushing it, because it was an issue. If you make it an issue, it will become the number one issue. So I think that that um you know candidates for office uh, elected officials need to continue to push this and they will see that yeah it is going to be a
0: very important issue for for constituents and voters moving forward yeah. So I had a very similar experience, which is I I was on Lee Zeldin, who was Republican candidate for governor of New York, his education committee, and they did exactly what you said. They polled what are the top issues in New York for New York voters. Education was not in the top 10, and they didn't run on that at all. And I think that was a big mistake. I think he, he, he did a great job, got closer than people expected. But you wonder if he had done what Yunkin and what DeSantis had done and run on some of those issues, if he couldn't have even gotten closer. So that, that was disappointing to me that they didn't run on those issues. But I think, I, I hope, there's more of a realization now going into 24 that these issues really do motivate uh, you know parents and and not even just Republicans I mean we see you know more and more independents that have left the Democratic Party over these kind of issues they just think what's going on in schools and the transgender issues is just you know insane I I hope I hope that happens so well Ian how do people reach you I think you're on social media uh, Um, Twitter is the
1: best place at Ian
0: D Pryor Okay, terrific. Well, thank you for all the work you've done uh, in this parents movement, being one of the leaders, your advocacy work. Uh, Read the book. I think it's got good tips for parents and uh, love to have you back at some point. So thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to my interview with Ian Pryor. We will be back next week. Beth will be back, and we have a really terrific guest who goes by the name, it's a pseudonym of Peachy Keenan. She's written a book that uh, is very funny. She's another parent advocate in this movement, um, so that'll be fun. So please tune in then. Um, We hope you enjoyed what you heard today. If you did, please subscribe, give us a five-star review, share us with your friends. And on behalf of my absentee co-host, Beth Feely, I am Andrew Gutman. We'll be back next week for another episode of Take Back Our Schools.
1: Ricochet. (laughs) Join the conversation.